97.9 FM WCHL is pleased to present Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno. Nicole has over 15 years of experience as a geriatric social worker and administrator working in the long-term care industry to include skilled nursing care, Alzheimer's care, adult day care, and home care. She also worked as a family caregiver. In addition, Nicole co-founded a nonprofit in the Triangle that specializes in support for caregivers. Now, Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno. Welcome to this episode of Caring Connections. My name is Nicole Bruno, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Philip Sloan. Dr. Sloan is the Elizabeth and Oscar Goodwin Distinguished Professor of Family Medicine at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He is board certified in both family medicine and geriatric medicine, and is one of the fewer than a dozen persons to ever receive the Distinguished Pioneer Award from the National Alzheimer's Association. It's my distinct pleasure to have you here today, Dr. Sloan. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm thrilled to be here. Okay, so today we're going to be talking about what caregivers can do when they are worried that someone who is under their care might be sick. To get started, what do we mean by might be sick? What, 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 how would you describe that? Well, um, we're talking about folks with Alzheimer's disease here. Okay. Um, everybody can become ill. Uh-huh. And often you know, when you become ill, you don't have a diagnosis staring you in the face. Instead, you have symptoms, feelings, behaviors that are different. Mm-hmm. And for the person with Alzheimer's, they often can't express themselves in a normal way. Mm-hmm. And so the caregiver has to do a lot more than they normally would do to try to help the person out. Definitely. That's true. So oftentimes you hear physicians kind of toss around words that are sort of big words for the layperson to understand. And often you hear a word like comorbid illness. What does that mean? It is really a medical term. It doesn't mean much to the the average individual. But what we mean when we talk about this is if somebody has one illness, then they they may have something else or many more things. Mm -hmm. And the other illnesses or conditions can complicate the care of the, the initial condition. Mm-hmm. And this is what we're talking about with Alzheimer's. If somebody with Alzheimer's has, let's say, pain, mm-hmm. it's much more difficult than somebody who doesn't have Alzheimer's. And it's not just with Alzheimer's. You know, for example, let's say somebody has had a heart attack and they're going to have cardiac rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. Well, what they're supposed to do is exercise. Right. But let's say they've got really bad arthritis in their knees. So that's complicating the potential to exercise. And that's an example of a comorbid illness affecting another one. You know, one of the things is speaking of pain, when I when I sort of grew up in the long-term care industry, it was during a time when people were suddenly realizing that when you have Alzheimer's, you can still have pain, and we should treat the pain. And what they ended up starting to do is when they started behavior change, they'd start to just give people a dose of Tylenol to see if that made a difference. And boy, did that make the world a difference for a lot of people. It's, it's, it's amazing to think that, you know, we thought just because you have a disease like this that you couldn't feel pain for a while. Wouldn't you agree? <laughs> well, there's still a lot probably of over, underdosing uh-huh. um, of pain medicine in people with dementia, particularly mm-hmm. late-stage dementia. Um, the other issue is that when someone has, let's say, a behavior that's different, mm-hmm. there's a whole host of possibilities, and we can't allow ourselves to fall in the trap of thinking, oh, it must be this or it must be that without kind of being detectives. Yeah, and sometimes the clues are hard to find, that's for sure. So I can imagine that 
these illnesses, uh, comorbid illnesses, as you're calling them, are very common in older people. Common. Is that true? They're so common that pretty much everyone, as they get older, will have multiple conditions. And this really complicates issues across the board, not just for people with dementia. Okay. And the, the people with these illnesses that we see in older people in general, um, persons with Alzheimer's disease and other dementias, is that common to see them? I mean, a lot of times people talk about the fact that folks with Alzheimer's disease are walking around, they look totally normal, and it's often assumed that maybe that's all they've got going on. And people often say it's such a shame, you know, he walks around just fine and, and here he has Alzheimer's and his, and his brain is gone. I mean, what do you have to say about that? Well, you know, that's an inter- interesting area for people who've read some things, particularly 10, 15 years ago about Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. There was a whole host of literature that suggested that people with Alzheimer's don't get other illnesses or don't yep. get them as much. Uh-huh. I and think that's the, re- <laughs> well, the reason that idea developed is because the research came out of the Alzheimer's Disease Research Centers. Oh, okay. okay. And people who they studied referred to them for Alzheimer's disease. Well, if somebody has Alzheimer's disease and congestive heart failure and they've had a stroke, they're not going to make it to a research center where they have to deal with a protocol and uh, do extra yeah. stuff because the family is already too busy. So what happened was the, the research was publishing about people who were an unusual subgroup. Uh-huh. And in fact, the majority of folks with dementia have other illnesses. So it sort of self-selected itself out when they went to those groups. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. I would have never even put that together. That's, that's definitely interesting. So when people have multiple illnesses, how does that actually affect the way doctors approach an older patient? It gets complicated. Much of the medical literature talks about protocols or standards for dealing with one condition. Let's mm-hmm. say here's how you, di- how you work with somebody with diabetes or here are the standards for taking care of congestive heart failure. But when somebody has two or three or four conditions, then they start to interact with each other such that a protocol for one might create problems with a protocol for the other. Mm-hmm. And so the older people get, and what we've learned is the less useful protocols are. Mm-hmm. And so physicians have to really um, individualize, and it really makes caring for older people a much more complicated field than dealing with younger adults. So I guess getting back to the heart of the matter then, what can a caregiver do who's listening today who's worried that someone who has an Alzheimer's diagnosis might be sick, but they're just not sure? They're, they're not sure how to pick up the cues. What can they do? I think the first thing to do is think about two different types of issues. One is medical symptoms that Mm -hmm. are kind of what everybody has if they have a medical problem. Mm -hmm. And the other one is things that are unique to people with dementia, which is behavioral symptoms, Mm -hmm. which can indicate a whole host of things, often medical as well as um, psychological issues. Let's say, for example, someone has chest pain. Mm -hmm. Okay. They might holler. Right. They might um, move around. They might get still. It's hard to know. Now, how are you going to know that's chest pain? Yeah. You know? Or maybe they'll hold on to their chest, mm-hmm. and that would give a clue. But um, early in Alzheimer's disease, people with the illness can really express themselves pretty well. Yeah. But the, the further the disease advances, the more people have to be detectives. Okay. So sometimes when there's a sudden change of behavior, perhaps— you know, that might mean that there's something going on. And what are the first things that doctors typically look for? You know, say somebody suddenly gets more confused. Well, they already have an Alzheimer's diagnosis. I know when I worked in nursing homes, we would say, well, let's check their urine. That was the first thing we thought of. You know, when there was a sudden change, we thought, well, perhaps they have a urinary tract infection. 
that that's a that's a whole can of worms that we're yeah. working on because, in fact, it's what we call a knee jerk reaction, yeah, yeah. and it's a oversimplification. Uh-huh. And what we found is that the majority of older people, well, maybe it's not the majority, but certainly of people in nursing homes mm-hmm. and of many people with advanced dementia, they carry bacteria in their urine normally. Okay, and um, so. Someone says, well, let's check for a urine infection. Uh-huh. They find bacteria in the urine. Uh-huh, and, that's it. <laughs> and, and, but in fact, that's not really what the problem was. Okay. And so there's a lot of unnecessary treatment mm. of infection in the urine because people don't realize that it's normal. And okay. to give an example of this, because some people don't believe this, well, we should get rid of the uh, there <laughs> bacteria. Are studies, yeah. There are studies that show if you get rid of the bacteria in the urine, the other bacteria come back, and then they're going to be resistant. Mm. And an interesting thing, um, in Europe... This is kind of an aside, but it, it's just so interesting. In some of the Scandinavian countries, they've taken people that had chronic urinary infections, mm-hmm. older people, and they put bacteria in the bladder mm-hmm. that didn't cause infection, but they were just like E. coli that weren't uh-huh. particularly infectious. They would cut in half the rate of infection huh. because you think about it, you know, in your bowel, you've got bacteria, yep. okay? Yep. And if you mess up the bacteria in your bowel, then you're going to get diarrhea, you're going to get mm-hmm. sick in one way or another. It's the same way in the bladder for some older people. Interesting. So um, that's a perfect example of how it, we can't jump to conclusions. We can't jump <laughs> to conclusions, and so um, we're doing some education around that, and we've identified what we call the big six, and now it's the big seven of things that um, are not urine infections, and that it could be when somebody just thinks, "Oh, it could be the urine." Well, I'd love to hear about those big seven when we come back. Joining me today is Dr. Philip Sloan, and we are talking about what caregivers can do when they get worried that someone they're under their care might be sick. Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno on ninety-seven point nine FM WCHL. Now, more of Caring Connections. Welcome back. This is Nicole Bruno, your host of Caring Connections, and joining me today is Dr. Philip Sloan with uh, University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and we are talking about what caregivers can do when they are worried that someone under their care might be sick, specifically when someone is caring for an individual with Alzheimer's or a related dementia. And right before the break, we were talking about the big seven, sort of the things that you can look look at that are common causes of nonspecific illness. Talk to us a little bit more about that, Dr. Sloan. We're talking about symptoms because mm-hmm. diseases present with symptoms. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody has pain, somebody has shortness of breath, yep. somebody has a headache, this type of thing. And there are really two general types of symptoms. There are specific symptoms, like if somebody, it hurts to pee, you kind of know what part of the body mm-hmm. is messed up. Mm-hmm. Or if you have a cough, you kind of know what general area of the body is messed up. Yep. And then there are nonspecific symptoms like tiredness, mm-hmm. you know, fatigue, you don't feel good. Or in people with Alzheimer's, irritability, agitation, hollering, withdrawal, mm-hmm. and not wanting to do things. These are nonspecific symptoms. And we get those when we don't have Alzheimer's too. Right. <laughs> yeah, we all get them. Yeah. Especially about 4 o'clock when my kids are all climbing on me. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> or you wake up in the morning and you don't feel very you good. You crooked or whatever. Right. Yeah. And um, with a younger person, we often don't jump to conclusions. We don't say, oh, you know. You're feeling bad. It must be a urine infection, you know, you know or, you know, you must have. <laughs> well, come have, on, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But in fact, you know, we've come up with a list of seven things that are very common causes of nonspecific symptoms just to help guide caregivers to think more broadly. Mm-hmm. So here is the list, you know, coming down with a virus, okay? Yep. Coming down with a virus, you don't know where it's going to be, but you just feel lousy. Mm-hmm. 
pain. Pain anywhere can make somebody act differently. Mm-hmm. And then it's kind of trying to figure out where that pain is. Is it stomach pain? Or, is it a headache? Yeah. Toothache? All kinds of things. Um, sleep problems. If you don't sleep well the mm-hmm. night before, you're kind of grumpy and in a bad mood. You don't feel good the next morning. That's right. Very common in older people. 90% have trouble sleeping. Uh, but we don't think about that. Don't they say that older adults need less sleep, or is that another misnomer? Or is it individually based? I know sleep stuff has been going all around the world, but... Sleep studies suggest that older people need maybe about half an hour less of sleep, oh. but they have to spend more time in bed to get it. Okay, Because they it. wake up so and really this type of thing. So there really isn't a big difference then. Yeah. Okay. Cool. What else? Another biggie is dehydration. Mm-hmm. You know, often you know, somebody will go to the emergency department and they'll come back with a prescription for an antibiotic and they'll get better. But it will really because of the liter of fluid they got in the emergency department that uh, makes them better rather than anything else. Okay. Um, but that's just an example. You know, so many older people don't have a lot of thirst. And so a high proportion of older people kind of have a chronic low-grade dehydration, mm-hmm. something like 70% of people with advanced Alzheimer's wow. are somewhat dehydrated. Okay. And so that slows them down, and you get a little, lose a little bit more, don't eat for a day, don't drink so much, then they're not going to look good. Bowel problems, of course, constipation, mm-hmm. a biggie, or just, you know, gas pain. Mm-hmm. Um, drugs, uh, medications, mm-hmm. medication adverse effects, um, these are among the most common things. Okay. And, of course, being in a bad mood, you know, you just have bad days. <laughs> you can, yeah, yeah, it doesn't matter what age you are, you can always have a bad day. So when somebody has Alzheimer's disease or another illness, I can imagine that puts a particular stress on the caregiver. It's a super stress because of this kind of indirect communication. Uh, caregiver is has the role of having to decide. Mm-hmm. And nobody likes to be the decider about somebody else, yeah. especially if the person can communicate some. And in the illness, it's not a matter of either communicating or not. It's a matter of trying hard to figure out what the person is communicating or not necessarily being sure they are explaining themselves well. And so the caregivers have to decide, how is this serious? Do, can I manage it at home? Do they need to go to the doctor? Should they go to the emergency department? Mm-hmm. And, of course, there's also the issue that some people with Alzheimer's don't do very well in places like a doctor's office or emergency yeah. department. Or early in the illness, they'll often refuse to go. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. the caregiver has to have a really good excuse and has yeah. to really feel like, um, well, they would have to make more decisions. Definitely. That's the thing. And it's, it's a huge burden, mm-hmm. for sure. So I understand that your group and a group of colleagues at UNC are doing something to help caregivers of persons with dementia better to be better able to manage the comorbid illness. Tell us a little bit about that. We were fortunate. Um, The National Institute for Nursing Research put out a specific request for applications because they felt there was a gap around medical symptoms. Mm -hmm. They thought there was quite a bit on the web and in the literature about how to deal with agitation, Mm -hmm. you know, and some of the behavioral symptoms. But they thought there was a gap around information dealing with medical symptoms in people with dementia. Mm -hmm. So we were fortunate to get a pretty generous grant from them Mm -hmm. to develop materials and test them out. And that's what we've been doing. We've met with caregivers. We got advice from them. We've gradually developed um, what is a web presence around medical symptoms. One of the things we discovered is that while we were supposed to just look at the specific medical symptoms, like things that – like – um, cough mm-hmm. or pain or this type of thing, that in fact, the behavioral symptoms are so common, yeah. we really had to weave them in too. So 
we have this um, pretty complicated website called Alzheimer's Medical Advisor that um, we're testing now with volunteer caregivers. Okay. And after we've done that, we want to develop some materials for people who don't use the web and then make it available publicly. So tell us what's on that Alzheimer's Medical Advisor website. The main focus is on symptoms. So let's okay. we have something on, let's say, abdominal pain. Mm-hmm. We've got one on trouble urinating. We've got one on cough. And for each of those, we have five categories. One category is a real simple thing with basic facts for the consumer. Mm-hmm. The second one is warning signs, things that someone should look for that would give an idea that maybe something serious might be happening. Mm-hmm. The third is what we call if you need to act fast because sometimes – People are just anxious. Something is happening. Somebody's short of breath or maybe they fell. Or, mm-hmm. you know, and they just want to find out what they need to do right away. Exactly. And then the fourth part is something they can download to help them organize before talking to a doctor. Or many caregivers will have somebody in the family who's, let's say, a nurse or mm-hmm. has some medical mm-hmm. background. They might be in another s- state. Mm-hmm. And before calling them, sometimes it's helpful to organize things so that they'll get the best answer they can. And then the fifth area is how to manage things at home. And so we have a whole segment about, for each about managing things at home. Okay, well, we're going to talk a little bit more about that after the break. Joining me today is Dr. Philip Sloan, and we are talking about what caregivers can do when they are worried that someone under their care might be sick. We'll be right back. Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno on 97.9 FM WCHL. Now, more of Caring Connections. Welcome back. This is Nicole Bruno, your host of Caring Connections, and joining me today is Dr. Philip Sloan, and we are talking about what caregivers can do when they are worried that someone under their care might be sick. We were just talking about this tool that you have created, the Alzheimer's Medical Advisor website. Sounds like a super-duper tool that can really assist caregivers in their journey with a loved one who actually can be someone with Alzheimer's or related dementia, correct? That's right. Um, In terms of dealing with medical symptoms and symptoms in general, Mm -hmm. all dementias are pretty much the same. So we're good. So it doesn't matter if you have Alzheimer's or any other type of dementia, you are good to go with this website. So talk to us a little bit more. You you were highlighting uh, some of the aspects of the website, but I know that you also have some special tools on that website. Explain to me what those are. The tools are really to help family members, loved ones, become better educated about assessing some of the medical conditions. Mm -hmm. Uh, We have – there are videos that were developed. Um, One is on how to detect signs of pain and manage Mm -hmm. pain. Mm -hmm. Another one is about dehydration, Mm -hmm. signs of dehydration and how to deal with it. And the third one is on vital signs Mm -hmm. because it turned out that when you talk to a doctor on the phone, they'd really like to know what the vital signs are. And so we've got some training for family members about how to not only take them but interpret them. Great, great. And I actually was privy to seeing that video, and it was, it was excellent. I mean, very well done for the layperson to understand. I know you also said that you also have something on your website about how to deal with medical situations. Talk to me a little bit more about that. It helps families to go into any kind of medical environment feeling empowered mm-hmm. so they can um, get the most out of the visit. Mm-hmm. And so we have sections on, for example, what to do if you have to go to the hospital or what to do in the emergency department, how to 
make it so it works for you mm-hmm. because it often doesn't, okay. particularly for the family member. We also have it for long-term care, for medical office, settings like that. Et cetera. Okay, that's great. And if I were listening to the show right now and I wanted more information, if I wanted to, since this is technically a research project, if I actually wanted to volunteer to test out the website, how would I go about doing that? We have a number on an individual who would be the person to call. Her name is Julia Thorpe. Julia. Okay. Okay. Her phone number is Mm 919-966-7173. Okay. 919-966-7173. If she doesn't answer, she'll always get back to you. Just leave a message about it. Wonderful. And what about hope? I mean, this is a disease that there really doesn't seem to be much hope for right now. We're, we're really struggling with trying to find ways to you know, help family members cope, but there really isn't that magic bullet pill out there yet that can really make a huge difference for the individual who's facing Alzheimer's or related to dementia. What hope is there? Well, you know, I'm with you about feeling somewhat disappointed. You know, yeah. 10, 12, 15 years ago, I really thought we'd found amyloid, we were going to find something that was going to work, and by now, I thought we'd have a, maybe not maybe not a cure, but at least Treatment. something that would really be much more effective, like we have for Parkinson's. Mm-hmm. It hasn't happened. Um, so that's been a disappointment. The good news is that the medical field really has evolved so that people know more. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not going to run into a medical professional who doesn't understand what Alzheimer's is and doesn't understand some of the manifestations and isn't educated about it. Mm-hmm. That was very different than when I was training in the field, the field of so many areas of dementia care, you know, as, whether it's about how to manage behaviors, whether it is how to understand the illness, whether it is how to help family caregivers. The field has grown and is continuing to grow. Well, I think that's a beautiful thing, and hopefully there will be some hope very soon for the folks that are facing this today. And one last time, if anybody's interested in participating in this uh, study, you may call 919-966-7173. And as always, you may email your caring questions to caring at 1360wchl.com. Thank you so much for joining me, Dr. Sloan. It was a pleasure to have you. I hope you'll come back again someday. Love to. Have a wonderful day. The purpose of Caring Connections is to educate listeners to help improve the quality of life for families, for professional caregivers, as well as those people affected with Alzheimer's disease. Caring Connections with Nicole Bruno is supported by HomeWatch Caregivers. You can hear this and any other program of Caring Connections on WCHL's website, chapelboro.com. Be sure to email questions to caring at 1360wchl.com. Caring Connections is a presentation of 97.9 FM, WCHL, Chapel Hill Carborough's News, Talk, and Tar Heel Station.